0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Zach Moore Show. Today I'm going to be going over an article that I wrote for Baltimore Sports Life. It's called uh, The, the t- title of the article is A New School Smash Mouth Style of Offense Versus Belichick's Team Building Model. Um, as always, you can support the podcast by buying my book Caponomics Building Super Bowl Champions, available on Amazon. You can also subscribe, download, and... Um, uh, give a five-star rating for the show on iTunes and uh, or a thumbs up on YouTube, whatever. Uh, the other things you can do is, if you're into jujitsu, uh, go to jiu-jitsuplanner.com. You'll get 10% off with my coupon code hard, And 10% will go to Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten Charity if you want to learn more about what Justin is doing. He was just on Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday. And um, you know he's a blessing to people in uh, the pygmy tribes of both, Uganda and now, uh, well, originally the Congo and now Uganda. Um, so he's doing incredible work in Africa, helping provide pygmy communities with the ability to self-sustain themselves and um, <clears throat> and uh, move forward as a culture. He also is uh, big on supporting, uh, the youth in our country that are being bu- that are bullied, uh, he recently had a stand with Raiden sort of um, campaign. He's been working with this young special needs boy Raiden, who's about 12, I believe. and um, they're from both from Oklahoma City, so he connected with Raiden and Raiden has been getting kind of you know harassed and harassed and bullied by, um, by kids for for a large portion of his uh, childhood and, and Justin does work that um you know helps with bully prevention building character and young men and um just he's a really good guy so check out that and you can also donate by going to go.rallyup.com slash forgotten which is in part a uh, it, which is a part of the Blitzalytics all heart charity fantasy football league that i'm doing this uh, this season with um you know my buddies at Blitzolytics and uh we're we're uh, we're trying to help some people out with that so, uh, everyone's got their own charity. Mine's Fight for the Forgotten, thankfully. And, um, you know, I'm happy to be a part of that. So, getting into this right here, um, you know, Sunday night football this week is the Ravens and the Patriots. The Ravens are being powered by Lamar Jackson led offense with offensive coordinator Greg Roman and head coach John Harbaugh. And um, something that Harbaugh said before the year was that. This the way this offense is going to be run is going to be something that ev- it provides an ev- another evolution of offensive football similar to what Bill Walsh did years years ago, and uh, it's a natural evolution actually because every you know n- not every but uh, uh you know a large portion of college football quarterbacks now are coming into league with the ability to rush. So Jackson is a part of this this evolution. It's a bit of what I talked about last week about. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks having the financial resources, whether you know, to have a training in high school and at the high school level and in college, and they're, they're all running systems from high school on up that require the quarterback to be able to run the football a little bit. So they've become experienced in this. And what Greg Roman has done now is he has generated a system that he, all the way back to Colin Kaepernick and then his years with Tyrod Taylor. Um, you know, he's created a system that takes advantage of this ability to rush. So Colin Kaepernick, when you look at Greg Roman, Greg Roman has had the ability to, um, he's won a game against Bill Belichick, and he's been competitive in two others. Uh, they put up 32 points with Tyrod Taylor in 2015 against the Patriots. So, and that was the year that the Patriots, 2015? Yeah, Patriots won in 2015, right? So... 14 was... No. Patriots won... No. Broncos won in 2015. Patriots won in 2014. Seahawks won in 2013. Right. So um, Kaepernick beat the Patriots in 2012, 41-34. He went 14 for 25, a 56% completion percentage for 221 yards with four touchdowns to one interception plus seven rushes for 28 yards. And he had an incredible four fumbles in that game. Um, Tyrod Taylor led the Bills to a loss, uh, forty to thirty-two, and a twenty to thirteen loss in the forty to th- in the game. They put up thirty-two points. He was twenty-three for 30, 767 percent completion percentage, two hundred forty-two yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. So he had quarterbacks who made mistakes. And what Roman is now hoping for is that uh, Lamar Jackson is, which he is, which is a step above these guys, and he's utilized. Um, he's utilized play action. He's utilized this great offensive line. Which I, I, if I was a GM, I've, I've been thinking about this for the last few months. Is that if I was a general manager, I would probably just simply draft the offensive line as long as I. I'd of course secure a quarterback first as well, or not first, or in some in some capacity, in some order. I would make sure I had my quarterback, of course. But uh, you know, I just I know I'm being extreme when I say this, but I you know is it crazy to just simply draft your offensive and maybe your defensive line with your first and second round picks for years to come? Because from where I'm sitting all these years, I've looked at this and, and the experience I playing, had playing had football, um, being a wide receiver too in college, uh, you began to really understand that your wide receiver groups at every college have you know six, seven, eight, nine guys who can produce. Um, offensive linemen, I mean, and I'm talking about at every level. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of guys. Just a supply and demand issue, right? Is what I'm what I'm getting at, and that there's there's only so many three hundred plus pound athletes who are capable of doing the kinds of athletic things that offensive linemen are required to do. So, um, moving further into that, you know, this this Ravens team um has been built through the draft. The sixth overall pick in the 2016 draft, Ronnie Stanley, is the is the team's starting left tackle. 2018 third round pick, Orlando Brown plays right tackle after falling in the draft due to something that has nothing to do with playing the offensive line as 40 time. Uh, that was that was a part of the reason. I'm sure there were other reasons, but I, you know, I simplified it for the article. Um, guard Marshall Yondo was drafted in the third round of the 2007 draft while other guard Matt Scura was signed as an undrafted free agent in 2016. Bradley Bozeman is in his second year drafted out of Alabama in the sixth round of 2018. So, to, to, um, important, to, important to note is that um, when you're looking at offensive linemen and you're looking at interior linemen, interior linemen can be found later in the draft than tackles. So, when you look at this model of, of how the Ravens built their offensive line, you know, you've got a third round pick, an uh, undrafted free agent, and a sixth round pick manning the interior of the line. And part of that reason is that they are not as not on an island as much as tackles, which is part of the value of a tackle and part of why a tackle will be drafted in the first or second round, essentially, as you find your tackles in the first and second round as a general principle. You can find um, Trent Brown of the now Raiders from the Patriots. I believe he was like a fifth or sixth round pick something later in the draft. Don't quote me on it. Um, but, you know, you can find guys later, like here, Orlando Brown, right? So we're looking at this matchup this weekend and you know, I see some things that the Ravens have an advantage on or not an advantage, but uh, the potential to stop a historic, you know, to, to overpower and maybe, uh, maybe overpowers the wrong word, but to succeed against what is now pr- being proven to be a, um, a historic defense. And I'm sorry if my nose is, uh, uh my, uh, my, my, uh, chest i'm a little congested this week so uh i'm dealing with that so if I, you see me keep scratching my nose and keep uh keep um sniffling this week uh I'm, I'm having a rough go of it with the temperature finally falling for fall unfortunately here in texas it's like it was 30 30 degrees this morning which is exactly what i ran away from in new jersey um so anyway According to Josh Hermsmeyer, heading into the Browns game, the Patriots ranked 7th in the NFL in blitzes with 82 and 1st in defensive expected points added on those plays at 30.2. The high EPA is in large part due to their league-leading 5 interceptions off the blitz, and they have a positive EPA on 70.7% of blitzes, which is 17% over league average. So they're highly successful blitzing. This offensive line will hopefully protect Jackson, hopefully for Ravens fans, hopefully protect Jackson, hopefully give him enough time to execute play-action passes, Um, and, um, you know, the weakness in the Patriots' defense is their run defense. They're ranked 20th in the NFL, according to PFF, tied with the Chargers with a grade of 66.8 through eight weeks. The Patriots ranked 4th in the NFL in rushing yards allowed at just 85 per game, but they're 21st. In yards per carry at 4.6, they had the least rushing attempts against them in the NFL. It's just 18.5 per game, which is a sign of them playing from ahead, and teams passing the more the ball more often because of the situation rather than the effectiveness of the defense in in stopping the run. Uh, playing from ahead, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so um, the team now has more one more sack 31 and one more interception 19 than the team had last year. During this, during a Super Bowl-winning season when they had a great defense that ranked seventh in the NFL in points allowed, their 25 takeaways are just three less than their 16-game pace, and um, you know for last year. So I mean they're on they're on a roll clearly. Um, the matchup this weekend is a new the newest attempt at a team to dethr- dethrone Belichick, and what we're seeing um, in terms of the offense is we're seeing similar to uh, on that dethrone topic, right? We saw what happened with the, um, the Rams last year in the Super Bowl and an offense that was so good during the season that everyone in the NFL seemed to want to get their own Sean McVay. But here's an important principle of how Bill Belichick builds his offense, builds his offense, builds his entire team, and, and specifically uh, this year we could see an example of it on his defense. Uh, looking at the Patriots' team texture section, of team texture section. At overthecap.com. They again have the most players on low cost veteran cap hits and the highest percent of their spending going to these positions in the NFL. This is, uh, they did the same thing last year. Low cost veteran cap hits are classified as at 4.45 million or below, and the Patriots have 21 of them with 23.3% of the cap going to these players. Those 21 players consume an average of 1.1% of the cap, which is just about. $2.1 2.1 million dollars per player, not an expensive rate in the NFL, not an expensive rate for um, for a highly valued um, you know veteran, and we'll get into some of those right here. Quarterback Jason McCourty has a cap hit of 4.25 million dollars this year, and is PFF's seventh graded rated quarterback through eight weeks. Jonathan Jones consumes 2.7 percent, uh, 2.7 million, and is ranked as the second best quarterback in the league. Stephon Gilmore is you know. You know, a big money signing, and he's ranked, and and everyone's talking about the great season he's having, and um, he ranks 20th per PFF. The safeties, with the safeties, they lead a pass coverage unit uh, that is leading the NFL with a 93.2 PFF grade. The pass rush is sixth in the NFL despite trading away Chandler Jones and letting uh, Trey Flowers walk in free agency. Belichick has frequently shown that he believes. What the analytics community has recently adopted after research through the way he spends his money. Pass coverage is more important than pass rush. Gilmore's deal is thirteen million dollars per year. Um, you know, in a stagnant quarterback market, the year after Josh Norman signed a fifteen million dollar per year deal with the Redskins, um, <clears throat> Devin McCourty was signed to a five-year deal worth nine point five million per season in two thousand fifteen. At a time. When the safety market was, in my opinion, severely undervalued, um, I believe the safety market was like around ten million dollars at the time he signed the deal. Um, it was kind of uh, set by Earl Thomas's two thousand fourteen contract. If I don't, if I don't, if I recall correctly, um, it was a ten million dollar deal, and, and uh, the, the the safety market has since increased to right around where the cornerback market is, which I think is important. I think the safety market is uh, the safety is a highly valuable piece. Um, they can oftentimes be tasked with covering a tight end, and if you don't have someone who can cover a tight end, um, you can get severely exposed come playoff time and you run into a Travis Kelsey, a Zach Ertz in the Super Bowl, um, you know, a George Kittle in the Super Bowl, um, you know, speaking from the Patriots' perspective, right? Jamie Collins accounts for just $3 million in this year's cap he's pffs fourth highest rated linebacker defensive end john simon is pffs 26 rated edge rusher on a two-year deal worth just 4.15 million dollars special teamers like matt slater and brandon bolden have cap hits of 2.9 and 1.7 million this year and an important part of any organization is the special teams and belichick has always understood that um his belief in this era of limited practice time, but even before then, is that a team needs experience, and he's always found that experience via keeping cap costs at the top of the cap low outside of Tom Brady and a couple other key players all on reasonable contracts. And then he'll build out the roster with the experienced and talented players that he finds on the proverbial scrap heap. Um, if someone's only paying someone $4 million, $4 million, uh, in this low veteran contract range. I mean, that's, that's a different class of player. And Belichick has clearly figured out the top of the class or, or the guys that, um, you know, fit what he's going to do and, uh, you know, figures out how to utilize them. Parcells is quoted as saying that Belichick has an encyclopedia in his head of past players and how current players compare and how a current player may compare which allows him to slot players into roles that they excel in, which is, allows him, you know, being the crazy film addict that he is. I mean, it's been his, his reputation since he started in the NFL in the, in the 1970s is that he is someone who is dedicated to the practice of, of analyzing film. And uh, what I would imagine the process is, is that, and especially so, remember when he signed Chris Hogan after he had a few good games against them, And he realized that this was a player that he could utilize. And in 2016, he utilized him quite well as he was PFF's uh, single best go-route runner in the NFL. So he had the highest grade on all go-routes. And that was essentially what Belichick had him do, run deep routes. And I think that Hoagie had like 17.9 yards per catch that season, just indicative of of the— of the, uh, the style of offense, right? I mean, of, of, of the role he was in, right? And so, um, this goes all the way back in terms of finding, finding these players. It goes all the way back to the 2001 team that was filled with low-cost ret- veterans like Roman Pfeiffer, Teddy Bruschi, Troy Brown, Ant- Antoine Smith, uh, Otis Smith, and more that produced value, produced results that would far outpaced their costs. Um, It also helps when your own players come back after seeing money elsewhere, like Collins or Bolden. He's well, not really Bolden, but Collins, especially. Um, He's phenomenal at targeting players undervalued because of age, injuries they can recover from, being used in the wrong system, or other reasons. The other thing about his philosophy is that he can kick the tires on a Demarius Demarius Thomas to see what he's worth, if uh, with to see if he's worth it with very little risk. Comparatively, he'll cost 1.8 million in dead money against the cap, and the team has an unusually high 21.5 million in dead money this year, with 5.75 million on Antonio Brown and 3.6 million on Michael Bennett of Las Vegas um, Police hoax racism fame. Um, I believe no one in the mainstream media. I, there was a. I don't. Michael Bennett is. I saw a story about him. This is off topic, but I saw a story about him this week that he was sitting in the locker room um, during Patriots National Anthems, and I saw something about the Cowboys now saying that he won't have that problem here. Listen, you want to profess your freedom of speech and your freedom to sit inside and, and not take part in the National Anthem, that's fine. But when you are someone who has been caught on camera committing a race hoax, you should shut up. Like, like you're you're not the guy, dude. Like, you don't have the character to be that guy, and 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 it's constant with Michael Bennett. He's probably my least favorite person in the NFL because he's lauded by um, people in you know, uh, I'm gonna sound like a right wing person in in liberal sports. We all know it's it's not even liberal because I'm a liberal in progressive sports media. Michael Bennett is consistently lauded because he has the right professed opinions, not because he's standing up for opinions or standing up for what you believe is right. is only okay in sports media, progressive sports media, if you stand up for the right opinions. And Michael Bennett, no matter what he does outside of professing the right opinions, no matter if he claims that three minority police officers from the Las Vegas Police Department are racist for... Um, following him, or, or for detaining him after he ran from uh, uh, what they perceived to be a uh, scene of a, sh- a shooting, he ran. They detained him. So he ran because he thought there was gunfire. Um, they detained him. Um, there was no big issue, and then he releases some statement about racism. Uh, this was previous to last season or the year before. I, I, I just I, I don't I don't like that. I, it, it's 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 negative. It's It's, um, you know, and it's all, and this is important to understand with the NBA and China stuff because we're seeing it. uh, it, It's the greatest example that we've seen of this yet is that the people who claim they stand for stuff, most of the time, most of these guys that are taking, most of these corporate guys, because a lot of these athletes are corporate guys. um, One thing I love about the UFC is that there's no, there's very little corporatism there. Um, uh, UFC fighters are, I mean, Nate Diaz, not very corporate. You can be whatever you want to be in the UFC. So these guys are part of this, you know, the NBA going to China. All this talk about how bad Donald Trump is. And then LeBron goes to China and he shuts up. He completely, he tell, he talks about Daryl Morey, that he's uneducated on, on uh, what's going on in China, the Hong Kong stuff. <laughs> these guys don't really stand for anything. They stand for professing opinions that will get them attention and attention equals money. Attention equals fame. Attention equals all these things. So it's 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 not about the right thing. Michael Bennett's whole thing is is about Michael Bennett, and that's that's it. So I'm glad that he got released by the Patriots. I'm glad Bill Belichick didn't put up with his shit. Um, you know, and, and 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 again, he can go sit inside the locker room if he wants. But um, anyone can go sit in the locker room if they want. But when it comes to Michael Bennett, shut up. Just stop. Like you're not the guy. You don't have the character to be the guy. So just, just shut up and dribble. Essentially, you know, just like LeBron said, I won't shut up and dribble. Michael Bennett, it's shut up and dribble time because no one wants to hear your opinion other than people who, who are, who are incapable of being objective about a scenario and saying that this guy is an asshole because Michael Bennett is an asshole. Um, There's more proof of that. Considering what he did um, at Houston Energy Stadium regarding the security guard that was apparently—I guess it was a paraplegic security guard or something like that—which um, is, which is a paraplegic security guard—is um, is a very funny, uh, interesting concept. Uh, I'm not gonna lie about that, <laughs> but um, but he did some some kind of nonsense where he bullied and he said, "Do you know who I am?" Type of thing. Don't like the guy. Moving on. The result of Bill Belichick's philosophy is that in 2018, is that his defense is filled with veterans. There are zero defensive starters, uh, according to Pro Football Football References, um, take on defensive starters. Uh, There are zero defensive starters under the age of 26. The defense now has 21 players with over 100 snaps, which is about 20 percent of snaps. Which, as Bill Barnwell points out, is a number that most teams would only hit by midseason if they were riddled with injuries. But this is by choice. Only Devin McCourty and Stefan Gilmore are playing more than 80% of snaps. Of the 23 players who have played defense this year, in 5,411 potential snaps across the defense, 1,261 snaps have gone to 9 players on their rookie contracts, which is 23.3% of snaps have gone to rookie contract players. The top seven players in snap percentage are all veterans, which are essentially player, the players of their defensive backfield, their pass coverage. The McCourty brothers, Gilmore, Collins, linebacker Kyle Van Noy, uh, Jonathan Jones, and Duran Harmon. Like I discussed in Caponomics Building Super Bowl Champions, they cycle through their defensive linemen to keep them fresh and explosive throughout the game. This year, the team is doing it more than ever. And this is part of why they don't spend a lot of money on pass rushers because this is a very successful philosophy that uh, I've seen the Patriots use, the Eagles use. Um, obviously, those two teams are top-of-the-heap type organizations. And, uh, and um, I'll get further into uh, – I'll, I'll check out the Ravens later and, and kind of look at their history of that, too, maybe to, uh, to get, a, get a perspective on another one of – if you had top five organizations for the last 20 years – just off the top of my head, right? Like, who would you say? Patriots, right? Patriots are obvious. Patriots. Um, you've got the in- the Eagles. The e- they have won Super Bowl, but they've been competitive for... Under the Andy Reid. Uh, under the Andy Reid. Under Andy Reid, they've been competitive for a long time. Um, and the Ravens are up there. Who else we got? We got the Broncos, our team that's in that mix. The Steelers, of course, right? Steelers are one of those teams. Um man Packers I mean there's five or six teams that jump out to you. Vikings are a team that's up there um, they haven't been at that competitive level competing for a Super Bowl um, type of situation but they're they're in that ballpark of like the team that's got a winning percentage of like you know 550 or above um, so the, the, when you look at what those teams do over time, I think that's a great way to really understand um, and, and uh, analyze what good organizations do and how they're successful. So this year, hit the Patriots' defensive line is cycling through more than ever, um, more than I've ever seen, and I've been watching what they do uh, for for quite a few years now. Um, their defensive line has seven or eight players, depending on it, what you cl- cl- classify Shalik Calhoun as, um, playing 22 to 49% of snaps. So uh, you don't spend a lot of money on the defensive end because you can get a bunch of fresh, fresh legs cycling through there. And it, it, it's interesting where you see that their top seven guys, in terms of snaps, are essentially their pass coverage guys, speaking to what Belichick surely believes um, in terms of coverage and rush and investments. And then you've got the defensive um, line has this, this cycle through, guy, through situation. Um, Experience and the potential versatility Created via the experience Plus talent and athleticism Of their defensive players Is the base principle of this defense There's continuity as well Dave Archibald pointed out to me That outside of Collins The top 15 players in defensive snaps Have all returned 10 of these 15 players Which now includes Collins Have spent 3 or more years with the team The result of this has been a season Similar to the strategy Belichick Implemented to confuse Rams quarterback Jared Goff in the Super Bowl now, um, okay, so to stop the Rams' offense that inspired teams across the NFL to hire their own Sean McVay's, the Patriots put six men on the defensive line with one linebacker in the middle, almost a bit of a goal-line defensive front to stop a running game that was strategically crafted to take advantage of defensive boxes with six or less men. A Patriots defense that played more man defense than anyone else in the NFL during the season ran zone on 40% of plays in the game, which made the relatively inexperienced Goff more hesitant with his reads, especially because nothing about the defense was like what he had seen on film. The third-year quarterback was overwhelmed, and his indecisiveness gave the six-man defensive line more time to generate pressure. He was, uh, and and I think he was like three for 13 for like 42 yards and an interception or something like that against pressure. And, just the confusion gave the the pass rush more time to get home, and which speaks to again the the um, the uh, pass rush. Uh, I mean, the pass rush, pass coverage to be. Um, the coverage is good, confuses him. You know that confusion, right? I mean, it's the difference between <clears throat> the league is is um, slanting a lot towards getting rid of the ball quickly uh, in less than two point five seconds. Any confusion that slows him down for. That much, just that much, um, puts the quarterback in a position where he's now more at risk for, uh, for getting sacked or getting pressure on him. So, this strategy of ultimate confusion has carried over into this season, and it plays well against the most valuable asset in the NFL today. The biggest threat to the Patriots' throne. High-value, highly productive rookie contract quarterbacks. Without the experience that a veteran has, a myriad of different defensive looks can be incredibly confusing on a play-to-play basis, and all of all the Patriots' defense needs is a player two to swing the game. This is obviously a roster that's good on offense, good on defense. I think they're first in the NFL in both categories in terms of scoring offense, scoring defense. So, um, you make a mistake, defense capitalizes uh, or confuses you into making one, and, um, you know... They can do that really, regardless of experience level. So that's, that's about all quarterbacks. Um, so Barnwell writes that Belichick's defense is continuing to blend and blur the line between man and zone coverage to trick quarterbacks who are depending on differentiating between one or the other pre-snap to make post-snap decision. When he does go um, man, he's able to rely on elite defenders to allow him to create a number advantage, a numbers advantage in the pass rush. Further. Barnwell discovered that the Patriots have allowed a passer rating of just 23.5 and zero high coverage in a league in which no other team is below a rating of 50.0 and the league average is 104.4. Think about that. Their passer rating is 23.5, which is worse than it would be if you uh, I believe it's worse than it would be if you just threw the football into the ground. Um, No team has blitzed more frequently without safety help, which has led to eight sacks and 17 hurries out 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 of the look, second behind the Minnesota Vikings. Can the Ravens' offense make enough plays to beat this historic Patriots defense? Can they minimize mistakes? Can they make the right play calls in the right situations often enough to catch this defense at a disadvantage? Something we as a collective football consciousness, including myself, continuously undervalue in this sport is the value of coaching. Um, it's why my belief that the Browns would be good this year, uh, based on this generated that the, the analytics-based team-building solution that they created, um, it seemed to fail um, because they don't have the right coach and the right coach is key. Uh, on Sunday night, we'll see if John Harbaugh and his trusted lieutenant Greg Roman and his favorite chess piece Lamar Jackson are prepared to engage in an intellectual battle with the greatest intellectual the sport of football has ever seen. So, I mean, we're just looking at a team that's trying to run something new, trying to confuse the king, and, you know, they might get two cracks at it. So, it's going to be what we fail to really spotlight. We spotlight what happens on the field, but what's happening right now, today's Thursday, what's happening right now, the coaches' meetings, the players' meetings, the practice, this is, you know, they're setting the tone, they're setting the stage for what's going to happen on Sunday, so... If we're looking at, um, you know, we're looking at the, uh, you know, both sides of this battle, uh, this battle, this game, um, you know, this intellectual battle. Uh, they both are in a position where they're they're trying to outsmart the other guy, and, and we'll see that play out on Sunday, and we'll see uh, see who makes the right move, and we'll see what they learn, and we'll see if they get get, get it cracking again in February, I mean February, January. Uh, when they meet in the playoffs. So, uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, again, you can follow me at overthecap.com. You can buy my book, Caponomics: Building Super Bowl Champions, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Moore NFL And you can subscribe to the and to support the podcast, you can subscribe to the Zach Moore Show. You can subscribe, download, automatic download, um, and uh, give a five star rating, and it would be much appreciated. I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Um, there's some stuff I've been thinking about with the Vikings, with the 49ers, uh, a lot on my mind. And then there's also this piece that I wrote recently about um, the ownership and uh, you know the way that owners are able to take advantage of players and all sorts of stuff and you know proper value. But uh, there is one more thing that I, I had right here is that I wanted to say that from Caponomics, I, I have it uh, you know, right here, Belichick and Mike Lombardi of uh, his recent Gridiron Genius book, they put together the, uh, Belichick's first scouting manual in Cleveland, um, but by the time they started to figure out they'd been fired. Um, and Belichick condenses objectives into, do these three things and we should be in a position to win. With Lombardi, they realized that the three traits that they needed to be a part of their players' profiles were, they've made player profiles for the scouting manual, were intelligence, power, and versatility. Belichick needs players who have the intelligence to understand the system and each week's game plan, the explosive power to execute the tasks required, and the ability to make their team more versatile. In this case that we're talking about right now, piece of that versatility is their experience and is their intelligence. So Belichick is, um, you know, this is all part of his philosophy, all part of building a team around veterans. And um, it's, it's really, um, it's always interesting to, um, to learn more about the game by learning more about what Belichick thinks. So um, thanks for taking the time to listen. I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And uh, have a great weekend. Uh, if I don't talk to you, have a great weekend watching the games.